Friday night, March 22nd, are you looking at the big picture when it comes to ASU basketball? Or are you having a hard time shaking off the 91-74 loss to Buffalo in the round of 64 that just took place earlier tonight? That's a question that many Sun Devil fans are grappling with, and you may or may not agree with the answer on this, but this podcast will be dedicated to examining what happened on Friday night, as well as what happened in the entire 2018-19 campaign. This is the Devil's Junkies Podcast, Season's End in Tulsa. Was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and devilsjudges.com publisher, Hoda Rubino, recording the podcast from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, just about 12 miles away from the BOK Center, where Arizona State lost to Buffalo earlier tonight, 91-74, in the round of 64 of the NCAA tournament. It wasn't a game where the Sun Devils trailed wire to wire, but a game that just about 10 minutes into the contest, it was evident that Buffalo was absolutely dominant on both sides of the floor and that Arizona State, who played just 48 hours earlier in Dayton, was definitely having the uh, heavier legs and really, in a sense, running into a buzzsaw into a very well-balanced Buffalo Bulls squad. I know many fans out there were disappointed in the way ASU played on Wednesday night in Dayton in the first four game when they beat St. John's 74-65, a game that Arizona State actually did lead wire-to-wire, had a 13-point lead at halftime. I don't think that game was ever in doubt, but there were definitely some warning signs, I guess, when you look back at how Arizona State played in that contest that did carry over into the Buffalo game. Uh, Basically, Arizona State faced a Bulls team that was infinitely better, I think, than the Red Storm, who they played Wednesday in Dayton. And the things that they were able to get away with, so to speak, on Wednesday night were absolute to their detriment on Friday night. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about that win on Wednesday. I just want talk much more about what took place against Buffalo on Friday night, but there definitely were some very uncharacteristic stats that did pop out in that Wednesday night game, which again, you may look at them as as a prelude to what actually uh, took place 48 hours later. Uh, First is the rebounding. Arizona State is a team that had a plus 4.5 rebounding margin edge all throughout the season. And Here they were facing a St. John's team that was not athletically or physically imposing by any means, yet that same St. John's team out-rebounded ASU 43-42. What was even probably more alarming is that, again, a team that really had no business out-rebounding ASU to begin with on the offensive glass had a decisive 16-6 edge. Conversely, St. John's had 13 second-chance points, only four for Arizona State. So that is definitely one aspect that you were kind of scratching your head over. I know that in the prior game to that against Oregon, ASU had, quote-unquote, an excuse to probably be dominated on the boards because Oregon is a team that presents length and spades. So I wasn't really surprised to see Arizona State lose that battle against that team. But against St. John's, uh, that was really a disappointing aspect. 
Another uh, issue that definitely plagued Arizona State is, is 21 turnovers, and St. John's scored 27 points off of those mishaps. I guess looking back, you could, if you're an Arizona State player, be thankful that St. John's didn't capitalize even more on all those turnovers, even though 27 points is definitely a healthy number in and itself. But nonetheless, that was another uncharacteristic statistic by Arizona State, and again, maybe an ominous sign to what was going to take place Friday in Tulsa. So it was great for Arizona State that, unlike last year, actually did win their first four game in Dayton. That does indicate progress, and we'll talk about that aspect later in the podcast. But obviously, the caveat is that winning that game in Dayton only means that your next matchup in the NCAA tournament is on a very short turnaround. And traveling from Dayton to Tulsa isn't exactly a one-hour flight or anything to that extent. Arizona State arrived in Tulsa at 4 o'clock in the morning and just 12 hours later was already on the practice floor. I think recovering mentally, physically was definitely uh, something that was going to be an uphill battle. I know some will call it an excuse. I like to call it more of an explanation why that was definitely working against Arizona State. I think it's pretty obvious. I don't know if we really need to get into too many details as to why that is the case. I will say that a little disappointed in the NCAA that actually scheduled Arizona State for the first session in Tulsa, where the game tipped off uh, just after 3 o'clock in the afternoon Tulsa time, rather than Arizona State being in the second session and having their game tip off in the evening, uh, either at, I believe it was uh, 6 o'clock or 9.30. Now, I'm not oblivious to the fact that TV stations, or in this case CBS really, does determine when the games are played, they need to get the biggest bang for their buck in terms of viewership, in terms of advertising dollars. That is absolutely within their right when they're paying billions of dollars to broadcast these games. But at the same time, if the NCAA is going to have that first four format, which has been around since 2011, and I don't think it's ever going away, at least not anytime soon, I think there has to be some kind of clause built into it that a team like Arizona State, will not play in the first session of the round of 64. Uh, Without looking at what happened with the other three teams, I know that uh, NDSU, North Dakota State, did play Duke later in the evening on Friday. Now, sure, you can point to the obvious. Duke is one of the most watched teams in college basketball, and obviously their game is going to be in prime time on Friday evening. That's fine, but... NDSU is a team that played in Dayton two nights before their next contest and was able to somewhat benefit from the NCAA, I would say indirectly or inadvertently, allowing them more rest after their game. With Arizona State, they didn't have that luxury. I'm not saying it would make a world of difference, but it's an aspect that absolutely would not hurt ASU in 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 the grand scheme of things, because again, the fast turnaround is something that Arizona State knew they had to deal with. But the pot could be sweetened a little, if you will, if you 
only had to play Friday night in Tulsa rather than Friday afternoon. Arizona State's health, namely their two guards, Remy Martin and Lugens Dort, is another aspect that really hurt Arizona State and having such a short turnaround. Remy Martin, as we know, suffered from a pulled groin last week in the game against Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament semifinals. In my opinion, it's absolutely impossible to overstate how much effect that injury had on the team from that contest on. A healthy Remy Martin would mean that Arizona State wins that game against Oregon, even if they lost in the finals of the Pac-12 tournament to Washington, which I think is questionable because Washington, at least last week, was not playing good basketball at all in Las Vegas. I know they did beat Utah State earlier tonight, so maybe they turned the corner. But nonetheless, if Arizona State just makes it to the Pac-12 tournament finals, they don't even have to worry about the first four game in Dayton. That is absolutely not even an option at this point and just allows more recovery time for Remy Martin. So that injury to Remy Martin was obviously significant, and I think another injury that was almost as significant, maybe not quite apples to apples, was the injury that Lugens Dort suffered in that game in Dayton against St. John's. If you remember, he skied for a rebound, and a St. John's player inadvertently pushed him to the ground. It was more like, I guess, maybe of a collision rather than an actual push. But nonetheless, Lugensdor took a hard fall just because he was skying so high for the rebound. Uh, ended up with a uh, sore, sore hip and I also his knee looked to be attended to ever, right after that happened. Lugensdor uh, did did play. Uh, he was only on the bench just, just for a couple of minutes. But it's one of those injuries that due to the adrenaline factor, you're not really feeling it in the moment, but when you wake up the next day, uh, it's definitely sore. And Dort did admit after the game against Buffalo that, that his hip was sore. I think that caused him not to drive to the basket as often as he would. Now, granted, the uh, Buffalo Bulls defense did an excellent job preventing him, preventing Remy Martin to drive to the basket as often as they usually would. But uh, Dort for obvious reasons, was probably more content to get his points via his perimeter shooting rather than driving to the basket and aggravating that uh, hip. He also mentioned that during the game against Buffalo, he did fall uh, again to the ground and seemed to re-aggravate the hip injury to some extent. So besides just the normal mental and physical fatigue that Dort, just like his teammates, would have playing two games in 48 hours, now you also had an aspect of an injury on top of that, which did not make matters easy for Arizona State by any means. So we talked earlier about the rebounding issues that Arizona State had against St. John's and really didn't have any business displaying that shortcoming to begin with. And with a team like Buffalo, who was definitely more proficient on the boards and definitely had more length than St. John's, Arizona State's Issues on the boards were an aspect that they paid for dearly against the Bulls. Buffalo with an absolutely decisive edge, 42-26. to 26. Again, this is an Arizona State team that, on average throughout the year, had a plus 4.5 rebounding margin against their opponents. Not even close to that figure on uh, Friday night. Offensive rebounds, again, 
major issue for Arizona State as the Bulls had a 13-6 edge. Uh, they scored 16 second-chance points and definitely frustrated Arizona State to no end when it came to rebounding on both ends of the floor. I think one of the most telling stats when you look at the last two games is that Arizona State on average had 12 offensive rebounds per contest. ASU had 12 offensive rebounds combined against St. John's and Buffalo. And again, I know that one team is much more proficient rebounding than the other, but nonetheless, uh, Arizona State had a very hard time keeping possessions alive. Wasn't an issue in Dayton against St. John's, but against Buffalo and Tulsa was a whole different story. ASU only had 11 turnovers for the game, but eight of them took place in the first half, and there were absolutely stretches where Arizona State would have three turnovers in less than two minutes, and those mishaps were gladly accepted by Buffalo because they were very efficient once they did get that turnover. There was one stretch during the first half that Buffalo was eight of nine from the field. I mean, that's how proficient this team is. And again, you just can't stress enough how balanced they were both on offense and defense. Just an absolute Swiss knife, versatile team that can hurt you in so many different ways. Three-point shooting was uh, definitely a huge, huge issue for the Sun Devils. When you talk about being fatigued and having heavy legs, then you might shy away from physicality, shying away from driving to the basket often and just hoping your jump shot does fall. Well, Arizona State was 0 for 9 from three-point range in the first half, missed its 11 shots from that first 11 shots from that range, ended up just 3 of 22 beyond the arc, an abysmal percentage no matter who you play, but especially when you play a team like Buffalo who was 10 and 20 10 of 27 from three-point range, not a great percentage there, but they were 5 of 10 in the second half. Again, the period where Arizona State was trying to mount some kind of comeback to at least put a dent in that lead and maybe get another comeback win from a halftime deficit. But there was this one more aspect where Buffalo was able to shut you down quite well on defense, but Arizona State was never able to return the favor and do the same to their opponent. So when it comes to breaking down Arizona State's 91-74 loss to Buffalo, not sure there's much else that can be said that hasn't already been said on a contest where Arizona State trailed just over 31 and a half minutes on Friday night. I guess one thing I will add that uh, it's definitely a darn shame that in Arizona State's best free throw shooting performance of the season, it is all for naught. ASU was 19 out of 20 from the line, missing only one attempt, good for a 95% clip. Absolutely Murphy's Law at his finest were in a game that wasn't close for two-thirds of the night. Arizona State was near automatic at the line. Just one of those nights where not a whole lot was going right for Arizona State. But now that we put this game in the rearview mirror, let's talk about the 2018-19 season as a whole for the Sun Devils.
So I know that sometimes it's an impossible task to look at the totality of the season when it does end with a loss. And needless to say that unless you're winning a national championship, uh, your season will end in that manner. But I can definitely appreciate the fact that a lot of ASU fans are upset on this Friday night, not only because of the loss, but the way it took place in such a dominating fashion. And really frustrated that the team, while making the first back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances since 1981, that those two appearances were the first four game played in the middle of the week in Dayton. And some people unfairly would call it the play-in game, may or may not put quotes around it. It is an NCAA tournament game. That's how it's going to go down in the stat books from now until the end of time. But some people don't view that as progress just because it's quote-unquote only the first four game and not the traditional field of 64 format that was present up until 2011. And uh, I guess it's one of those glass half-empty, half-full. Again, there's no denying that Arizona State did go to two NCAA tournaments in consecutive years. But the perception that they were one of the last teams to squeak in is something that the more critical fans would bring up and wouldn't necessarily put that in the positive column for the program, if you will. I think that at the end of the day, when you look at the accomplishments of any program at Arizona State, not only men's basketball, you just have to look at the history. You have to look at the context and see where this program was and where it is right now. And at least in my view, that's how you measure progress. One stat that maybe has gone unnoticed a bit that Bobby Hurley, four years after his arrival in Tempe, has helped ASU to be the only Pac-12 school to make the NCAA this year and last. And even in a very down year for the conference, which there's no denying that, I think that's still quite the accomplishment for a program like Arizona State, which again, for just about four decades, has been really struggling even to string ancillary tournament appearances in consecutive years. Arizona State is a team that struggled quite a bit on the road in Pac-12 play, and this year split every road series right down the middle and actually had a 5-4 and four record in road games in Pac-12 play due to the fact that they swept Arizona, which put that Pac-12 road record at 5-4. and four. Again, you're talking about a feat that should not be taken for granted because it rarely happens to begin with when it comes to the Sun Devils. For the first time ever, Arizona State beat a number one ranked team on their home floor. A game against Kansas back on December 22nd of last year, 80-76. to and that was their second win against their ranked team this year as they also beat Mississippi State in their tournament in Las Vegas back in November. When you look at fan interests, Arizona State's 
biggest average attendance was 10,603, and that happened in Bobby Hurley's third year in the last season. This year, that number uh, was very close. I think it was just off by by 80-some uh, fans. But when you look at the totality of it all, when Bobby Hurley first arrived, attendance was almost 50% of what it is right now, 58.07 average. So just think about how far this program has come. And look, I'm not here to sugarcoat what happened tonight and not to really gloss over some issues that are plaguing this program, but I was having maybe not-so-friendly discussions with people on Twitter earlier tonight about the evident progress that Arizona State has, and I think a lot of fans, which is understandable, just got caught up in the moment and not letting facts rule over emotion, if you will, and being too caught up with the raw emotion and the disappointment of the loss to Buffalo, which, again, a game that wasn't even close for the most part, and not seeing the progress that Arizona State did achieve this year. To me, it's really a testament of how much Bobby Hurley elevated his expectations in Tempe. That fans are not content with back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances because both of them resulted in a first four game in Dayton. Trust me when I say that the two coaches that came before Bobby Hurley, Herb Zendek and Rob Evans, would love to have the opportunity to go to back-to-back NCAA tournaments, even if it meant, quote-unquote, only a first four, which obviously did not exist in the Rob Evans tenure and existed in only the last four years of Herb Zendek's tenure. But those are two coaches that could have been in Tempe much longer than they ended up being if they were able to have these back-to-back appearances in the NCAA tournament. Now, you can look at this season, and the moral of the story is win more games throughout the year and don't end up in Dane. As we mentioned, in the injury to Remy Martin, which was probably the biggest catalyst for Arizona State losing to Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament semifinals, was probably the most overriding factor that put Arizona State in the first four game. But when you look back at the season, sure, losses to Washington State, to Princeton, to Utah, definitely did not help Arizona State's cause getting into the field of 64, but rather being in the field of 68. It's a shame that a second-place finish in the regular season in the Pac-12 was overshadowed by such a down year for the conference that helped Arizona State get into the field of 68 and not in the field of 64. That definitely played a factor over there, and that's just basically dumb luck. I would bet anybody a lot of sum of money that the next team to make it from the Pac-12 into the first four is not going to be a team that finished second in the Pac-12 when the regular season ended. But speaking of that second-place finish, you saw an Arizona State team that went from 8-10 and 10 in Pac-12 play last year, which remarkably still had them qualify for the NCAA tournament, go from that mark 
to 12 and 6 this year. Again, you look at history, you look at context. Arizona State recorded 12 Pac-10 slash Pac-12 wins only three times prior to this year. Now, the last time that they recorded this was just 10 years, 10 years ago in the 2009-2010 campaign. But prior to that, you have to go back to 1994-1995 when Arizona State recorded 12 league wins. Unfortunately, it didn't help its NCAA tournament seeding, but when you talk about positives about this program, you talk about did this team go forward or go backwards, I think it's pretty clear that the trajectory is indeed trending in the right direction. So as they sum up the season for Arizona State, I'd like to talk about three players in particular that definitely had a significant impact on the program, three players that ended up being in the old Pac-12 teams as well as the old Pac-12 defensive team. The first player, I'm not going to say is the least like out of the three, but definitely a lightning rod of controversy, if you will, and that is freshman guard Lugans Dort, a player that has been rumored for months now to skip his sophomore year and declare for the NBA draft that would make him the first quote-unquote one-and-done player at Arizona State. It wasn't a shock to anyone, including myself, that Lugensdor would end up leading Arizona State in scoring. And really, for a freshman to score in double figures in 30 of his team's 34 games is definitely no small feat. Now, Dort came in with the calling card, if you will, that he wasn't a great outside shooter, that he wasn't a very good ball handler. And at the end of his freshman campaign and more than likely his last year as a Sun Devil, I think you can look at those traits and say that they exist as much as they did prior to him coming to Arizona State as they do now that he's expected to exit the program. And this is why quite a bit of Arizona State fans are upset tonight that Dort, while not declaring for the NBA draft, has definitely made some statements to the media after the game that can be interpreted that this is where he's leaning. And look, it's really simple. As long as NBA scouts see Lugans Dort as a late first-round pick, he's gone. I think there's also something to be said of the fact that his advisors, his camp, are probably looking at the 2020 draft and thinking that the deeper pool of talent might hurt Dort if he decided to stay at Arizona State for his sophomore year. I would also offer you the argument that the longer a player stays in school, the more time, the more body of work scouts have to nitpick his skills, and that conversely can help his stock to drop quite a bit. So this is definitely one of those strike the iron while it's hot situations for Lugens Dort, which is why I don't expect him to come back for his sophomore year. 
I do think when you look at the progress of the team from last year to this year, Dort being the Ling score obviously had a big hand in it. I think coming in as such an accomplished prospect, it's maybe it may be impossible. I'm sorry to really live up to all those expectations that are placed on you, but Lugensdorf, with all his obvious shortcomings, delivered quite a bit for Arizona State. I think the first few games of the year and the few last games of the year, he was definitely one of the standouts uh, for this team. He did have that lull in the middle of the year, call it a freshman wall, call it not being able to adjust to better scouting by ASU opponents. That That is all fair narrative when it comes to struggles that he had. But But by and large, it's really hard to complain about what Dort meant for this program, what he contributed to this team, again, helping it in its overall overall progress from last year to this year. So I think ASU fans should have fond memories of Dort and what he did in the 2018-2019 season and not let the fact that he is turning professional to cloud what the overall opinion of this player is. Again, somebody that was definitely instrumental in Arizona State's success this year. The second player I want to discuss when I review Arizona State's season is Remy Martin. And even though he definitely did not have a subpar year by any means, it's going to be a season where you just wonder if his health issues in the very beginning and the very end of the season did not take place, how much better could Remy Martin be? in the 2018-19 campaign, how much better Arizona State could be as a whole if Remy Martin was clicking on all cylinders and not having any health issues to deal with at any point of the season. To me, that is really the biggest what-if question of the year. And after the game, Bobby Hurley, rightfully so, talked about Remy Martin as being one of the greatest competitors and warriors that he's seen pointed out the fact that Ray Martin averaged 29 points for ASU in its two-game sweep of Arizona this year, and just really, really unfortunate that he did have the injury last week against Oregon, which, again, I think just created a domino effect for Arizona State, playing in Dayton, forced to playing a very talented Buffalo squad in only 48 hours rest, and in the beginning of the year, maybe he didn't hurt as much, but not having a fully healthy Remy Martin definitely hurt them in some of the non-conference losses and the, some of the early losses in Pac-12 play. Now, Remy Martin was very complimentary after the game, talking about how his guys picked him up and how the team was able to compensate for him being less healthy than 100%. And that's something that wasn't always true, I feel, in the beginning and the end of the season, but exposed a bigger issue to me, and that is the lack of a true backup point guard. And folks that are in my premium message board, the Devil's Huddle, know that I've been talking about this aspect well before the season even started that Arizona State absolutely needed a backup point guard that Lugens Dort, despite what some said in the preseason, is not 
somebody I would even characterize as a combo guard and not something that could successfully and effectively spell a less than 100% Remy Martin, whether he's playing limited minutes, if playing at all. And that really came to bear early in the season. Remy Martin was injured and later in the season as well. And just really became a big issue for Arizona State. I don't know if the Sun Devils win against Buffalo. Ray Martin was 100% and absolutely has no element whatsoever. But I just think that Arizona State was more easily exposed and was more apt to dig itself a bigger hole when their ball handlers are not playing well. And it was both Remy Martin and Lugens Dort who did not enter this game at 100%. There's never a good time to have an injury, but uh, tonight it was definitely bad uh, timing, to say the least. When you measure progress of this team from last year to this year, Remy Martin is definitely one shining example of it, as he led the Pac-12 with a 2.7 assist-to-turnover ratio and was second in Pac-12 play at 5.1 assists per game. Going back to the early season injury that he had, there's no doubt in my mind that if Ray Martin was healthy from game one, that he would actually lead that category. But no shame, obviously, finishing second in the statistical department that defines the point guard probably more than any other statistical category. The fact that Ray Martin finished on the second all-Pac-12 team and was called a snub just shows you how special he was uh, for this team. Really came down huge down the stretch for Arizona State, who coming into the NCAA tournament were winners of six of their last eight games. Remy Martin was an abs- on an absolute tear during that period and helped Arizona State finish on a very strong note and really, in a sense, secure their NCAA tournament prospects. So while he may be the most important returning player for the 2019-2020 season, Arizona State will absolutely need a capable point guard to help him flourish, in my opinion, even more. And looking at... Arizona State's signees and commitments. We're looking at three guards. Two of them are probably more of a combo guard that I think still could be better ball handler than Lugens Dort and JC Transfer, Alonzo Verge, and Jalen House, locally from Phoenix Shadow Mountain. The player that may actually have the bigger impact is uh, Caleb Christopher. Uh, commit that is expected to sign with Arizona State in April. And if he can materialize into a capable backup point guard, I think you could see Remy Martin elevate his game that more. And really for Arizona State's offense, not to have too many peaks and valleys depending on the health and availability of Remy Martin. But overall, Remy Martin is a player that had a pretty darn good freshman season being co-sixth player of the year last season, but 
was able to take his game, I think, even to a higher level. And again, without a backup point guard to really help him along the way, I think it's even more commendable to see what he's been able to achieve. Last but not least is senior forward Zylan Cheatham, the former Phoenix South Mountain high school standout who was recruited uh, by Herb Zendek, as some of you may recall, ended up going to San Diego State, was not particularly happy with the way the Aztecs used them on offense. The Aztecs failed to make the NCAA tournament while Zylan Cheatham was there. So you just have to be ecstatic for a player that had a very successful homecoming and as a first-team All-Pac-12 member, obviously had a huge hand in Arizona State's success this year and making it back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances. Averaging a double-double really speaks for itself in terms of how good of a player Cheatham was. He averaged 11 Point eight points, 10.4 rebounds. Those are numbers, by the way, coming into the the Buffalo game. On the season, had 14 double-doubles. On the year, he had 19 double-figure rebounding games and led the league at 10.4 rebound average. When you have that consistency at your fingertips, that is absolutely invaluable in terms of your defense, in terms of your presence in the paint. We all knew that Cheatham was going to be an absolute athletic freak. His uh, 41.5 inches on the approach vertical is the team's best. That's no surprise right there. Uh, He provided many memorable dunks throughout the season. But really had a very nice all round game, also average 3.2 assists on the year, and was only the second ASU player in program history to record a triple-double. But as much as we talk about all the great numbers that Zalan Cheatham has put up, I think when Bobby Hurley talks to the media after the game and says that the legacy of a guy like Zalan Cheatham is, is immeasurable for what it's going to mean for us moving as a program, absolutely speaks volumes, not only to his pure skill set, but just his personality and what he meant for this program in terms of his leadership and setting the right example. Zylan Cheatham said after the game that his roommate was freshman forward Tayshawn Cherry, a player who, while very talented in his own right, I think is also volatile in his personality, definitely exhibited some immaturity throughout the season. And Bobby Hurley said that he hopes that somebody like like Tayshawn Cherry was really able to soak in as much as he could being around Zylan Cheatham as often as he was, especially being his roommate on the road, and really take all those lessons and try to emulate Zylan Cheatham from here on out because if you're going to follow the direction of any player on the team, Zylan Cheatham is absolutely the player that you want to mirror as much as you can. So if Deshaun Cherry does show significant progress in the 2019-2020 season, you can safely say that 
Zylan Cheatham had a profound effect on that one player. Zylan Cheatham has an absolute magnetic personality. As a beat writer for the team, it's been an absolute joy to cover him. He was by far the player that interacted with the media, whether it be in the middle of the week during media availability or after games. And it's an absolute treat because you know you're going to get a very thoughtful, intelligent player. He's never going to give you boxed answers. He's going to be very honest, for good or for bad, about what's going on with the team on any given week, any given night. Bobby Hurley talked about him being an absolutely unselfish player, somebody who really gave his all to his teammates, to the program, a player that truly took pride in playing for the hometown team, something that even in ASU football we don't see as often as fans would like to see that and definitely don't see it as often in the basketball sense. And I think what a treat has it been for the ASU fans to see a local player excel, what a treat it's been for his friends and family to see him in person. Definitely for all of Arizona State's home games and probably some games on the road too, but just to see how much fun he was having playing the game, how much success he was having with Arizona State must have been an absolute joy for his family and his friends. And speaking of family, what a tough year it's been on the, on a personal level where Zylan Cheatham lost his brother to tragic gun violence incident. He said they took solace that him and his brother actually grew closer because he was playing now for Arizona State close to home. And to see him persevere through that awful tragedy and still play well, get in, get on the charter plane just hours after the funeral of his brother to make a road game at Stanford is something absolutely remarkable and something that I don't think anybody should ever take for granted because you never know how somebody would respond under those under those circumstances and that was very telling of what kind of person Zylan Cheatham is as a person and obviously a very big personality individual with a lot of charisma and while Bobby really seemed pretty confident that he would play in the NBA and would be an absolute asset for any team that drafted him he also predicted that at some point of his career he'd probably be a basketball analyst on CBS or TNT or or ESPN because uh, he is definitely capable with the character that he has, with his knowledge of the game, to be one of those individuals that can have a very successful career, if not in the game of basketball, then at least in the broadcasting of the sport. Zylan Cheatham humbly hoped that the fans in the city remember him in a positive light and would recognize the mark that he left on this program. Trust me, Zylan, that's the last thing you got to worry about. The profound impact that you made in only one year playing for Arizona State may have been borderline jaw-dropping and absolutely impossible to imagine the Sun Devils having the success they had in the 2018-19 season without one Zylan Cheatham on the roster. If ASU is able to attract 
high-caliber local prospects from here on out, you can definitely attribute some of that to the Zylan Cheatham effect, much like Nikhil Harry as a local player that either stayed home or eventually came back home and was able to find success with the Sun Devils. Zylan Cheatham can prove as an invaluable asset for Arizona State's recruiting efforts from here on out. I would normally end the podcast taking your questions from Twitter and from my premium message board, The Devil's Huddle. But uh, this, for a change, uh, is not going to be one of those podcasts. Uh, it's just about 1.30 in the morning here in Tulsa, or Broken Arrow, to be more exact. I do have an early flight to catch in the morning back to the Valley. So under the circumstances, I hope you can uh, forgive me for uh, not fielding your questions. But Obviously, if you're a member of the Devil's Huddle, uh, you can always ask me questions over there. So if you're not a premium subscriber, uh, please make sure that uh, you do that. Lots of uh, basketball and football coverage uh, still ahead of us in these months. As you know, there's no such thing as an offseason. And I um, uh, would be love to uh, share my insight with you as a paying customer. So please go to devilsdynast.com and uh, click on the link over there to subscribe. What I will leave you concerning Arizona State basketball is that even this year it was still a fairly young program without Zylan, aside from Zylan Cheatham, there really weren't any upperclassmen that were significant contributors on the squad. And that's why I think fans should be excited for the future of this program. I mean, sure, losing Zylan Cheatham and Lugens Dort uh, is not something that I think Bobby Hurley and his staff is look, are, are looking forward to at all. But I think when you have a very good core of returning players that are seasoned now, with a couple of years under the belt, I think will pay dividends for Arizona State next season. So the question that I posed in the beginning of the podcast, do we let this loss to Buffalo overshadow all the positives that Arizona State displayed? Or do we really look at the season as a totality in terms of successes or failures? I think that ASU fans should be very happy with what they saw from Arizona State for the various reasons I mentioned when it comes to an improved standing in Pac-12 play, a sweep of Arizona splitting every two-game road series in conference play, having a good number of comebacks from halftime deficits, a team that I was was 9-1 and one following a loss. So the resiliency was always there for this team. And again, when you talk about traits that you cannot take for granted, or just gloss over them as being immaterial or insignificant, 
that is definitely uh, one of them right there. So I do feel that the future is bright for this program. I know that the NCAA tournament run, as short as it was, was dis disappointing in a vacuum. But we definitely saw the team take a step in the right direction from last year to this year. That's all you can know, expect from this program. And I do feel that what you saw this year and really in the last two years is not an anomaly. I think you'll see Arizona State become more and more of a factor in Pac-12. So that will do it for this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. Thank you so much again for tuning in. And I will keep you updated as to when our next podcast will air. So long, everyone. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Town